Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. To this week's episode of The Prestige, you may have been listening to the dulcet tones of Rob the last couple of weeks while I've been moving house, um, but I'm back. We are back at our full compliments to talk about this week's film. Um, the Prestige is a podcast for people who love movies, by people who love movies, and we, back together, are as team... My name's Sam, I'm a teacher, academic, writer, I've lectured in universities, taught in colleges, and um, as of this week, I now work teaching English in a secondary school. And he's Rob, he's a podcaster, editor, author, creator, and one of his careers saw him travel the world um, as a small part of the movie business, small but essential part of the movie business. So I know how things work on paper, theoretically, he knows how things work in practice on the ground, and we bring these two perspectives on films to our discussions of um, a different film that we look at each time. might be films you know and love, Films you might not have got around to seeing, films you have no ideas even even existed, and um, probably the latter in the case of our most recent season, which is something of a trip around the world, a trip through world cinema. And we take a different movie each episode and give some short reviews, and then talk about the cultural, theoretical, historical significance of the film. We end with recommendations linked to that film in some way. We start by talking briefly about what else we've been consuming media-wise. So, Rob. I have, first of all, I appreciate uh, Sam saying there that I was a small but important part of integral part of the movie industry. That's a, a nice bone you throw me there. I have watched this week the film Empire Records. This is... A bit of a story, as all my movies are. Uh, Empire Records is one of the movies that made me fall in love with movies and made me want to make movies. It's an independent American drama from the 90s telling the day of a record store, Empire Records, of the title. And over the last 30 years, 25, 30 years, I have developed a habit of whenever I get a new TV or a new anything that I can watch movies on, this is the first film I watch. I've always watched any new TV, any new DVD player, any Blu-ray player. The first thing that gets into it is always Empire Records. And I have bought a projector. I've had dreams of having like a home cinema for a long time. Um, and this is my very first step towards having something at home where I can watch movies on the big, big screen. Um, and so I bought a projector. And so this week I sat down with it, uh, hung a bedsheet off the wall, and I watched Empire Records. The film's brilliant. The film's always brilliant. But it was lovely to watch it that big. I've seen it on cinema once before in my life. 
And this obviously isn't a cinema cinema size. It's not that big, but it is the first step towards something like that. So I'm very happy. I've watched a film I love in a way that I love. So yeah, that's my week. What about you, Sam? It's been a while since you shared with us. It has. And as I know you have, I finally got to the cinema. And it was was a brilliant experience because I got to the bit of the cinema. It was not a brilliant experience because I saw a film that wasn't great. Um, And I saw a film which for many reasons, felt like it didn't need to be made, um, was the latest Suicide Squad film. I have a vague memory of you being kind of keen on the first one. I don't know why I think that. Yeah, it was the, the first one. The first one was an extended music video, but it was kind of flashy and nice to look at and wild away a couple of hours. This just didn't really make sense. Um, it has, I mean, it, it has brilliant actors in it. it. Has Margot Robbie in it? She's great in returning, and um, various returning actors from the first one, um, including Viola Davis as um, the head of the penitentiary, and it had sort of new stars, including Idris Elba. Um, but it was just all a bit ridiculous. And the quote-unquote bad guy is this 60-foot-tall pink starfish. Um, and it, you're not really sure. It, it was a bit confused about what I had to say. There was sort of, was it taking a side swipe at gross Americanization and the colonization of other countries and it took place in one of those countries and yet it wasn't clear whether we were on the side of the oppressed or the side of the colonizers because we were on the side of the American guys coming in and yet we were against the colonization of this huge intergalactic starfish. He does say that phrase, it just sounds ridiculous, and it is ri- ridiculous. So, it it is a bit of a ridiculous film, and it had, I mean, to give one example, it has Sylvester Stallone as an animatronic shark. See, everything you're saying, maybe he wants it more. <laughs> and the, the animatronic shark, I felt, was kind of like a cross between Hulk, Bruce Banner's Hulk and Groot, but just not as good as either. Um, so if if watching Animatronic Shark is your thing, Rob, then definitely go and see it. But it, it wasn't for me. I will see if I can make time for it. I have seen the original <laughs> and I wasn't overly wowed by it. Um. No. This is kind of a... It's, it's not really a sequel... Um, there were some returning characters, but there aren't really any nods to the original, and it feels like, I mean, they've just added the to the title, so it feels like a completely different film. That is a confusing thing. I, I, I'm not a fan of that as a, as a thing going forwards, you know. No. Um, so. But as Sam said, we are 
moving on and we are looking doing our world tour in which we are trying to sort of travel around the world and um see movies that otherwise we wouldn't see from countries we wouldn't normally visit and this week we are in argentina and we are looking at the 2018 film the accused Transcurridos ya dos años y medio del crimen de Camila Nieves, va a comenzar finalmente en tres semanas el juicio oral contra la única imputada, Dolores Dreyer. Ni en la peor pesadilla nos imaginamos que nos iba a pasar una cosa así. ¿Te prendo la cabeza o qué? Perdimos todo por esto. Estaba cubierta de sangre. Te voy a confesar algo. The Accused is essentially a courtroom drama in many ways, but taking the slightly different tack of focusing entirely on, as the title might say, The Accused. The details of the crime and the details of everything that happened are slowly revealed during the movie, so I won't bring them up here, but we will get into them certainly once we can move past our initial reviews. But essentially, a young woman has died, and her best friend slash former best friend is the single accused person for this. It is a media storm. It is a cultural event in Argentina. And this tells the story of that girl going through that trial, the build-up to trial and the trial. The main the main girl, the, the accused, were Dolores, is a frustratingly enigmatic character and the film is very even-handed in how it deals with her um, it doesn't paint her as either a hero or villain in this story and it's mostly about the people around her who orbit around her and the film essentially tells that story sam how was this for you cards on the table everyone I would say I'm in, if we think of this this road trip as in in legs, then I would say I'm in charge of the Latin American Mm -hmm. leg because it's it's one thing I know a bit more about than Rob, Latin American cinema. Um, But having said that, I knew absolutely nothing about this film um, and just picked it because it was a critically lauded recent film from Argentina. Um, so I had no expectations going... Well, actually, the expectations I had going into it were around the idea of a courtroom drama, as you, as you said first up. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised by this, having had no expectations going into it. Um, I thought it, it was really good. I really enjoyed the way that um, the the details of the crime were released as you went on. And mm-hmm. You kept in sort of flashes of the murder scene and it, it was as if we were living the trauma that Dolores had gone through. And um, I think over... What I really liked about this film was was the intensity of it and the claustrophobia of it all and the way that 
you only get, for, for example, that murder scene is only you sort of panned out and we only see the whole of it at the very end of this of the film, and we've been seeing it all really intensely and really claustrophobically as as the film has gone. Mm. How about you? This film was one of those ones that I feel snuck up on me. I would say for the first half, maybe the first hour of the movie, I wasn't a fan. I was just a bit like, this is a little bit boring. I don't really like any of these people. Any of these people. Mm. And I just wasn't on board with it. And then slowly, suddenly I found myself entranced. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you what happened. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't point at a scene or a moment and go, that's the moment that twisted me. That's the moment that got me. But I just found myself hanging on it. I found myself deeply involved with it. And as people within the orbit of Dolores and Dolores herself make choices that are frustrating and are fundamentally seem to be against their own well-being or the well-being of their family, you end up like hating and loving them in equal measure. And mm. like a lot of, the, this isn't a film in which I suppose I had an emotional connection with a lot of the characters, but it felt like this puzzle you wanted to see resolved. Yeah. This, you know, it, it, it was this, I wanted to see where the story was going to go. And I wanted to know or wanted to see what was going to happen? Was she going to, was she going to go down for this? Was she going to be mm. um, convicted? And sort of, it had the twists and turns of, I suppose, like a court case, a traditional courtroom drama. But that was underlined with all of the emotional fallout. Like when things came up in the courtroom and you saw the horrified look of her, her dad, like you have already have a relationship with her dad. Mm. And you know what he's like and what all this means to him. And like, he's not a very nice person, but he is also spending all his money and all his resources to try and defend his daughter. And he does love his daughter in some sort of way, but he also isn't a nice person. So it's, yeah, I found myself by the end, absolutely entranced with it and deep in the world of the movie. And it's one that's not haunted me, but it really stuck with me. But I will say that like, Anyone who's looking to watch it, if you aren't loving it in the first hour, stick with it. Because I really wasn't either. I felt mm. the first half of it, I was just like, I just don't, I'm bored. I was bored, really. But then it just, yeah, it just somehow I was like, oh, actually, I'm not that bored. And it slowly lured me in. So I'm going to ask, and from here on, guys, we're going to get into spoilers. Um, yeah. Did she do it? No. No. Okay. I don't think so. Um, but I can see how she could have been convicted because I can see that. I, I don't think she did. And I, I believe this story about getting scared and running out at the end. Mm. But I can see how the lateness of that into the narrative of the defence could have completely swayed the jury or would have swayed me listening to it. So I think there is a real possibility that she could have been convicted. And I was genuinely surprised that she wasn't. 
Yes. Uh, I never thought, I didn't think that she did it, but I did think that she was going to get convicted of doing it. That's where I thought the film was going. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I come down on the side of that I think she did it. Okay. I think that, I think that she's far, I will probably go along with the whole, she wasn't the one who did it, but she probably left her to die. Right. And I think that far more of the things we see Dolores do in the movie are calculated decisions rather than the emotional outpourings of a teenage girl. Mm. I think that there's a depth and a coldness to her and a calculation to her that we weren't privy to. But I probably come down on she probably didn't stab her best friend to death. I suppose it it goes well. What you see when um, she speaks to the interviewer and says, "Look, I'm going to confess to you. I never forgave." And then you've got that moment when it's like, "Oh, like you say, this is these aren't the outpourings of an emotional teenage mm. girl. This, there's something really calculated here." And a lot of that for me comes almost from the very final shot of the movie. There's this running theme through the movie of this puma that's loose in the neighbourhood. Mm. Um, and at the moment at the end when she sees the puma she sees the puma on the roof and watches it slink away into darkness and that to me is the sort of the movie saying that this is who she is she is she is the puma she is the wild creature the vicious killer or the, the very vicious animal who is hiding out in suburbia you know among this facade of this you know, lovely upper middle class family that she's part of in this nice neighborhood in this nice, very, very nice house with this nice garden party going on that no one sees this real puma that's in there. And that's why I think the movie is saying, I think the movie is telling us that she is, she, this is who she is. I don't think the movie is saying she did it. I think that some of the emotional outpourings, particularly seen with her dad at the well, I love that scene. Um, it's a brilliant, it's a wonderful scene. So It's so emotionally wrought. I think she does some things when she isn't being observed by other characters that don't make me think she actually killed her. But I think there is a depth of sociopathy, both. Like, there's an element of her where she can detach herself. And as you say, this the interview scene is a great one in which she plays this demure, you know, quiet victim girl but at the same time can break out into this whole other thing which i'm not saying she didn't obviously i think she didn't forgive her friend but i think her kind of getting angry enough to do that outpouring is also thought through the fact that the lawyer agrees and the dad doesn't well that that to me is the is the um is the step is that the lawyer is a puma as well but he isn't hiding it yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. and I liked that whole thing about where they feel they might solve the case. Um, and he goes, no, basically, because it'll ruin other events. That felt like a real judgment against a lot of other courtroom dramas. Mm. So many of these movies, they solve the case and they come in the lobby and go, ha, this has happened. And the lawyer's like, like, we've said one thing for the entire court case. 
And if you turn around now and say another thing, all you're going to do is look untrustworthy. Mm. And that felt like a real... That was a scene, I think, for me, where I realised I wasn't watching a standard movie. I wasn't going to see a third act in which to reveal that the boyfriend's the killer or whatever. Yeah. It isn't that kind of movie. Yeah. And I think, important, actually, I was just thinking about what you were saying about um, the emotion of the character. Um, and just struck, I was just struck by thinking about her age. Because when she did or didn't do it, and when she had this party, she was 18. She could, could have been 19. She was probably 18 because she was at school with them. Um, and something gets hammered into you working in schools is that people in schools are children. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter technically what the law says. You're, you're in the care of adults. You are a child. And by the time of that interview, by the time of the court case, two and a half years had passed, and she's she's just turned 21. And she's a proper scheming, calculated adult by that point. She is the puma by that point. Whereas it might have been emotional before. And I think the film really echoed that a lot. And I think that the film is... Visually, I mean, I'm always talking about the visuals of these movies, but I think you, there's a clear, distinctive style between most of the film and the flashbacks that we see of the party and the aftermath of the party. The aftermath of the party scenes are floating camera. They are tend to be very colourful. They are a very different style to the rest of the movie, which is almost entirely either locked off cameras or incredibly controlled steady cams. Mm. The film yeah. tends to mostly happen in shades of grey and blue and there's a whole element of control that comes with so much of this movie it feels like a movie wound so tight and then we have these bang these flashbacks of the bright green and are almost in like a different world and in many ways already they are a different world so everyone in this movie that party is a different world because it all happened before everything happened but the film does this, the film looks so, it looks so right for the story it's telling. You know, even, even something as simple as the courtroom that forgoes any of the more austere or more, I suppose, British style traditional pomp and circumstance of a courtroom. It feels more utilitarian. It feels more council-ish, you know, and I can't speak to how law courts are in Argentina, but this felt Almost weirdly underwhelming, if yeah. that makes sense. Like the, the the law court itself, it just didn't have any of the things you expect from a courtroom drama of shouting lawyers. And you know, there's literally one scene in which the lawyers butted heads, and it was over in a minute. It just the film wasn't what I thought it was going to be, and I think that was to its credit. It feels like the film does a lot of that. It, I mean. Just struck by the pretty much the opening scene is of this photo shoot when it's kind of like she's the hero of her story, like have her piece in a magazine about someone who'd survived an ordeal, a traumatic ordeal, hmm. and like it's not she's the victim, she's the accused party. So it feels like there are, there are lots of set pieces that 
kind of overturn expected thinking like that. Yeah, uh, I did. There's a, there's a scene maybe about three quarters way through in which um, the police raid the house, and it's mm. chaos. It's brutal chaos in this house, and I, that was a one of those moments where like, we've seen this film so stayed. I mean, the, the, the whole opening scene is this really, as you say, this contrived, presented world of, of this family, and they they cut one of their kids out, and they present this whole sort of fake facade, and that scene felt like all that being torn down and it's shot with this lovely steady cam. It feels like a weird dream for Dolores to see this place of sanctuary that she's had for all of this be torn apart. But she also doesn't seem bothered. There wasn't a moment in which she saw her break down and cry. She just took it all in, in a dream sense. Yeah, I wonder whether, I suppose, it could be a post-traumatic response. It, it, It does feel like... She's she's weirdly calm about some things, and that's an example of it. Mm. Yeah, I do, I do really like this one. I love the way that it. There, there are lots of ways that it undermines, undercuts expectations. I, I think it was a really great find on your part, a really recommendation. Because I, I say, whilst I was, it took me a while to get grabbed by it. By the end, I was very grabbed. It had that same kind of vibe as Emma. In that, after a while, you couldn't look away. And the energy of this movie is entirely different to Emma. Emma being yes. like manic and crazy, but it had that same element of like a puzzle piece being revealed. Yeah. And it's, it's the very different movie, but it had that same element of like you want to see how it all ends. Yeah, I, I that, that's how I, I felt, Emma, as I felt going into it in the first few minutes. It was just like, well, as you felt at being of the accused, it was just like, well, this is a bit dull. And mm. okay, there's this and this, and it's kind of like looking at an art installation or a dance piece, but is anything really happening? And then by the end, you realise that something big has grown on you. I did really like it. That and I think having having the accused party be our point of view character, it really. It really helped with trying to. It really, it really helped not establish in my mind how the court case should go, mm. because yeah. so often you're sitting with the defendant, or you're, you're sitting with one of the lawyers, or whatever, and there's a real feeling of like, you know what, I want my guy to win, you know, because mm. that's what movies are. You know, they're often they're heroic fantasies or they're you know power fantasies, and you're you get a hero's journey, and your hero is the person you're following. And so, whilst we can enjoy the movies and be sucked into it, like you know how it's going to end, you know the heroes are going to win because that's how almost all movies work. And this, you got that final scene, like, oh, there are no heroes here. No, like I've got the person I followed the most, but they aren't they aren't a hero to me. And it left it really. Really well done in that you go into that last scene not knowing the way it's going. Yeah, yeah, they're wonderfully ambivalent characters. All of them, you have absolutely no idea who's in the right or in the wrong at mm. any one time at all. And even like say, even the dad who has his daughter's best interests at heart and has poured everything into working for her and obviously cares very deeply. Even he is, I mean, I wrote it down, he's just a bit of a dick. You can't, 
you can't say you'll no longer be my daughter, but yeah. you, can ki- you can kind of see where that is coming from. Absolutely. You can't justify, but you know exactly what he means. Because the other thing is, obviously, is that you've got to see it from their point of view, is that they don't know she didn't do it. No. Like, yes, you have faith in your child, and you believe your child didn't do this, but at the same time, it's not like there's evidence you can point to. No. It's not like, you know, and obviously he knows a bit more because he was he was a bit more. But it's like, it's just, the film really plays so much on that, the fact that no one in that world knows and you mm. don't know. And even in the world where, like, because she was, as Dolores was doing drugs and drink at this party, there's even an element of you can't trust her memories of the day. Mm. And, yeah. you know, it just that boggy marsh of facts and you feel you feel a bit like the detective yourself you're collecting all these things together and you're left with this pile of things you know and none of them give you a clear answer yeah and that's why the ending feels right but also wrong the fact that like if she could, she actually didn't get convicted the murder is still out there somewhere and currently yeah. no one's in prison for this murder um, so someone killed this girl, and that's the thing that often the film skirts around. That at some point, someone killed this girl. Yes. And yeah. if it isn't Laura's, the film isn't interested in who it is. I haven't thought about that. The film isn't... I think that's why it's called The Accused and not The Murder. The film isn't interested in the murder. It isn't interested no. in who did the murder. It's interested in the journey of The Accused. So, Rob, do you have any... Suggestions for us, recommendations? I do, I do. I've got two recommendations. First up, um, from 1988, so 30 years before uh, our movie, is the movie The Accused. Uh, this is a Jonathan Kaplan movie starring Julie Foster and Killian Guinness. Um, and it is a tale of a young lady who is brutally attacked and her fight for justice. It is a film, I believe it won the first uh, Oscar for Jodie Foster. Um, it is a absolute roaring success, um, and it won so many awards. And it is very, very good. Jodie Foster, who's a brilliant actress, uh, is bringing her A-game, as is Kelly McGuinness. Um, basically, it's just, it is much more, it's much more of a courtroom drama um and uh, she's very much the victim here it isn't taking the same tact as um the accused from 2018 but i thought i should bring it in given its name my second recommendation is a film from 1949 um so this is black in back in the black and white eras um based on a film from book from the previous year called be still my love uh, this is the 1949 film the accused uh, let's see what I've done here um, <laughs> um this is a bit more in line with um what uh, happened in the modern accused um we are seeing the side of the person who is being accused of the crimes in this case she did the crime uh you do see it and it's a very bleak film noir from the 40s um it stars Loretta young it stars robert cummings it's very very good it's very very 
bleak as these kind of movies are. It can be a bit schlocky. It can be a bit um, of that era. I'm watching it these particularly. Um, but if you like that kind of era of movie and that kind of film noir, it is right up there. And obviously it shares the name with our movie of the week. Sam, what about you? Well, sadly, I have no more films called The Accused to recommend. Um, I have a couple of recommendations, both rather more up-to-date than Rob's, um, and both relating to the producers on this. It's quite difficult to find connections with the acting director who have all done a lot of work um in the Argentinian industry. So Michele Boy, who was producer on this, was also a producer on The Revenant from 2015, which I absolutely loved. Um I remember Rob well, not feeling great about it. it. It was one of my um favourite films of twenty fifteen. Um, possibly in no small part due to the way in which I saw it. I saw it in a, in a packed screening. Do you remember what those were? Um, and I really enjoyed the experience. Second recommendation is I've picked all the great names from the production. Um, Axel Kuchavatsky. Um, who's a producer on this, was also a producer on various film and TV, and most recently produced on stage from 2020 to 2021, which I know Rob was a big fan of. Um, the yep. I suppose the, the first big um, TV series to really address the concept of lockdown head-on, um, Signed Evans, Mark Sheen, Dave Tennant, really good performances from those two. So those those are my two recommendations this week. As I said, and not so much to do with the actors and directors as um, connections mm-hmm. via the production stuff. And sadly, no films could be accused. Same, shame. So that, guys, was our take on that movie. We will be back in two weeks' time, picking up with our world tour. We're moving up the country to Uruguay and we are going to be watching the movie 25 Watts from 2001. Till then, you can find me online at KaijuFM. You can get in contact with me by emailing prestigepodcast at gmail.com and you can find both of us at prestigepodcast. And we'll be back here in two weeks with that movie. See you then.